This is Female Focus with Audio Technica. Today we're welcoming um, Aubrey Whitfield onto the show. So you're a British record producer, sorry, easy for me to say, Uh, songwriter, musician based in London and you've worked with tons of artists from, you know, Kelly Clarkson to Soul to Soul, Little Mix, James Arthur, um, many, many more. Um, So before we get into all that side of things, I'm just checking in, you know, how's it going at the moment with lockdown and everything? Are you working lots or taking a bit of time for yourself or a combination of both? Yeah, I'd say a combination of both, actually. Um, So I'm quite lucky in that since we've had lockdown, business has still been um, quite busy for me. In fact, I would say even more so because I think a lot of people are stuck at home with nothing to do but write songs. Mm. Um, So, you know, probably seen an increase in work. But um, I have been taking some time uh, to stay at home a little bit more and I'm not having artists coming into my studio to record vocals, etc. So I'm kind of taking that time at home to focus on other areas of my business and, uh, you know, look at my, my own music as well. So, uh, yeah, and I'm, I've still been quite busy, though, which is you know, very, very lucky, as I said. Yeah, I suppose it sounds like you've got a bit of a nice balance there. Not going stir crazy, absolutely. but got a bit of work to get on if you can, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like, um, have you got a um, bit of a small studio set up at home then or more on basic one while you're away from the main studio? Well, that's something I've actually set up since lockdown. So I, I always had a kind of like a semi-portable studio on my MacBook for when I went back to visit my family in Liverpool. But it was never fully functional. So if I had a client contacted me, uh, wanted me to finish off their song when I was in Liverpool, I couldn't do it. But since lockdown, I realised that's something that I need. I need an exact replica of my studio set up onto uh, a portable system. So uh, at the start of lockdown, I spent about three days setting that up. And now if I need to stay indoors for whatever, I can basically got the same functionality that I have in my main studio. So that was quite um, a useful exercise to do, actually. I'm glad I did that. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose now's the time, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, so what I was uh, reading up about you, I've seen that um, for the majority of your adult life before this, you were actually working for the UK government in the Home Office. So quite a career change there. So when did it all start to change for you in terms of, you know, getting into producing? What inspired you there? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's definitely an unconventional route into producing, I'd say. I mean, I was uh, in and out of studios when I was very, very young, you know, around the age of 11, 12. And um, it, my entire life has been music, but I was more focusing on being an artist. And I didn't even think about going into producing, even though I was producing my own records. So it just didn't even cross my mind. And um, I wanted to, to be an artist, so I needed a career in which to fund that. So I you know, went into a full-time job at the Home Office and then later the Cabinet Office and um, ended up uh, you know, doing really well in that career and becoming you know, fairly senior and being in charge of some quite important things and you know it was a good salary and I was able to use that salary to fund uh, building a studio and things like that and it must have been just about five years ago where I just started to realize I was not enjoying being an artist anymore I I was really struggling with my nerves on stage Mm. and I just thought I'm not enjoying it but I have all these skills of recording and producing and arranging that that I want to use so I thought maybe I'll try producing other people and I just kind of dabbled with producing a, a couple of artists then I just seemed to you know fall into that role quite easily and then you know the rest is history as they say um, and then 
after about two years of producing on the side, I just realized I couldn't carry on with my full-time job. I was just knackered. You know, it was a full-on job working at the cabinet office at the time. And um, it just came to a natural head where I decided now's probably the time to resign and do producing full-time. And it was the best decision I ever made, for sure. And at the time, um, what did your colleagues say when you told them about your new career that you were going to embark on? Or did they already kind of know you were into it? I think the, they already they already knew because I you know because I've done music all my life. I'll always talk about it to people, but everybody has the same reaction, and they have the same reaction, which is, oh my goodness, that's a very very different career. So mm. what you're going to, um, so but you know I was always quite honest and open about it. Um, well, my boss at uh, the cabinet office wasn't happy with me because I actually fell asleep in a meeting once at the prime minister was chairing. And I actually fell asleep during the meeting because I'd been up the night before producing songs. And so it, that was around the time I thought, oh, this is just getting too much now. I need to I need to resign and concentrate on music. Mm. Um, it's a very scary thing to do because, you know, music is so fickle and trying to sustain a living out of music is just very, very difficult. So I was, I was very, very nervous about it. But, you know, it's worked out well. I'm one of the lucky ones. Well, yeah, completely, understandably, it's, it's it's a very big leap, isn't it? Um, you know, a scary thing to yeah. do. Um, so, yes, so you're brave, and I think a lot of people would look up to you because there's a lot of people working in jobs they probably don't want to be in. They'd love to do something like that, but it's just taking that step, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think there's a lot of people that are worried about doing this full time, but I think there's also people who are not realising that they can transition into being a producer, particularly for. Uh, females, because you know, it was certainly a lack of females out there. I didn't even think about becoming a producer for many years, but I had the skills to do it ten years ago. And I know you set up a record label um, in your early twenties, and then you closed it down because you sort of said you bit off a bit more than you could chew, and you said it was the yeah. one of the worst decisions and yet the best decisions of your life. So how so? And what happened there? Yeah, <laughs> I set up a record label. I was only twenty, twenty-one, um, and it. It ended up doing really, really well, but I set it up to just promote local artists so I could get enough money to kind of do my own albums. And that worked really well. And then it ended up expanding and expanding. I just became this huge record label. I ended up employing some of my family members and all this. I learned so much from it. You know, it's my full-time job for three years. But I just couldn't cope with the, the amount of work I'd taken on because I was only at that time, uh, by, by the time I decided to close the business, 23. Wow. And it was just too much. I couldn't cope with it. And I started to realise, actually, I don't really want to do uh, promoting artists. I don't want to be a label. I want to, I want to, you know, write and, and release my own music. So I just decided to close the business down overnight. And, yeah, I regret that because what I should have done is sold the business because I ended up losing everything. And I lost my home. I had a recording studio in my house. I had to sell all the equipment. And uh, yeah, I lost my car. I basically lost everything. and became penniless. And oh. that's when I had to kind of move back with my parents for a little bit and build myself up again. But it did teach me a lot. And I was able to work hard over the years and get back that recording studio that I'd lost. So it was a valuable lesson. But I think Reflecting on it, I wish at the time that I'd have sold the business or just done something with it rather than just leaving it and closing it down overnight and then losing everything I'd worked for. But I was young and naive and at least I've learned from it. So take the positives away. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's very easy to look back as we all can on things we've done. I mean, I at that age I can't blame you for not thinking of wanting to or even thinking of selling the business. It's a big 
um, scary yeah. adult thing to do, isn't it? It might not even cross the mind of a 23-year-old. Yeah, it didn't. It, it, it genuinely didn't. I just thought, oh, I just can't cope with the, the, the amount of pressure that I'm under. Um, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience with business and life at that age and just wanted rid of it, basically. But, you know, I just very tinted glasses and, you know, looking back on things, um, she's done it a bit differently, but I learned so much from it. And so there's lots that I've taken from it that are positive. And I think that's the most important thing. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I know once you finally got back into you know, producing and everything you had at one point, a sort of whole bedroom full of high-end studio gear and all this, you know, songwriting experience, producing experience, business experience, you know, from your side career, your previous career in the in the government. So how did you go yeah. about getting clients to produce then? Where did you start? Yeah, so I was lucky in that because I'd been self-producing for a number of years. I had uh, decent quality recordings that could show my production skills. I thought, well, I'll start with that as my portfolio and I went on to um, a website called starnow.com and I just thought I'll look at the adverts there and see if there's any artists that are looking for producers and um, I came across this one artist called Mairead Fairlong and I, she wanted she had written this song that had won some awards and uh, wanted it produced and I just really liked the sound of her and uh, checked out her music and thought she was brilliant so I just kind of contacted her and said, look, I'll, I won't charge you anything to, to produce a song, but, you know, trying to build my portfolio, I'm a new producer. And we met and we clicked and ended up producing the song and she loved it. And, you know, I was able to do that with a couple of other artists. And then I had a two things. I had a portfolio of productions that I could prove that I was good at what I did, but also it was increasing my presence online. So people would search for producers that start appearing. And I think that's what potential clients look for in a producer. They want someone who can show their abilities and their show reels, et cetera, but also have credibility. And um, so, you know, having an online presence is really important. Mm -hmm. And those clients that I ended up producing for free back in the early days are still with me now, some years later. So, uh, you know, it was definitely worth that investment. So, uh, yeah, that's how I started. It was simple as that, just going out and scouting for artists myself and asking if I could produce them. And I don't do that anymore, thankfully. You know, people come to me, but it was one of the best decisions I've ever made, for sure. Mm. You've got to lay the groundwork, I suppose, and be a bit feisty, I suppose, when you first start and go out there and try and get that work, haven't you? You have to. It's so competitive. There are thousands of producers out there who, who want to do this. and So you really have to hustle. And I think, you know, you've got to remember that you're a business. And uh, I think that's, you know, what a lot of people don't understand. You are a business and you have to treat it like a business. And um, so that, yeah, that hustle at the start is really, really important. And, you know, I've had a couple of people grumbling that, you know, I did it for free and that, you know, you shouldn't really work for free regardless of your skill set. And I do kind of agree with that. But as I saw it, I was doing one free song and then those artists would pay me for the others. So it ended up, you know, making itself back. So, um, yeah, I don't think you should work for free, but I think if you're doing one song and you've got no credits whatsoever, then, you know, it's a good way of getting clients um, to work with you. So it worked for me. Yeah, and it doesn't sound too dissimilar to things like, you know, free work experience. You know, you do have to start somewhere in lots of careers and you do end up doing things for free at the beginning. And then, like you say, you can build your clientele and your skills from that. And then, you know, hopefully and generally they will pay you uh, when you're much more experienced. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that you can do, you know, let's say you work for free, I wasn't getting an upfront fee as such for my work. 
but you can ask for royalties and percentages of sales and things like that, which, you know, if that artist goes on and does really well, you'll get a percentage of those sales. So that's something that you can offer in the very early days. But I think if you're working with independent artists who tend not to earn a lot of money from streaming and sales, you know, asking for royalties doesn't really get you much, mm. to be honest, if anything at all, which is why asking for fees is, is probably a, a better idea. Um, but yeah, that's certainly a way of getting work and at least you're getting something from it is, you know, asking for royalties. And you went on to work with um, well, loads of the artists that we mentioned earlier, uh, huge. So James Arthur, you know, Little Mix, Soul to Soul, Kelly yeah. Clarkson. So it shows obviously you can turn your hand yeah. to lots of different genres of music. So I was just wondering, do you have any particular favourites, you know, out of working with any of those um, artists? Yeah, do you know, I really enjoyed um, working with Charlotte Kelly from Soul to Soul. Um, mm-hmm. she, I don't think I've ever had an artist in the studio who just comes in and sings straight away without really... <laughs> without really go, you know, warming up her voice yeah. and just sings everything perfectly in tune. And I, you know, I rarely get blown away when an artist comes into the studio, but she would just blew me away when she sung. And she just sung this song like maybe two or three times all the way through, pitch perfect, just mm. like done in like half an hour. It was amazing. And she was so lovely um, to, to work with. She was, yeah, she was, she was great. She was definitely a standout for me. I've worked with her a couple of times now. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to find that a lot of the bigger artists are really, really nice to work with. And I worked with um, Simon Webb from Blue last year. He was, he was absolutely lovely. Um, just, you know, very warm, very supportive, uh, easy to talk to. And, it, you know, I think that's, that's a very important thing when you're a producer is that you both feel at ease in each other's company because you've got to work quite closely and, you know, you've got to open up, etc. And I find that these bigger artists, you know, you, you think they could be, uh, you know, you could be starstruck or find them quite imposing, but they're actually just normal people who are just really, really easy to get on with. So, yeah, in particular, Charlotte Kelly and, and Simon Webb, I particularly enjoyed working with them. But, of course, I enjoyed working with all my clients. Yeah, of course. And um, speaking of, you know, um, a flawless vocal, um, does that make your job as a producer loads easier um, for when you're, you know, working on the track? Yeah, I, yeah, it does. I mean, I think... What, what I what I what I tend to find is a lot of artists when they come to the studio they haven't rehearsed or anything like that and so they're a bit rusty they don't know what they're singing and they don't know the lyrics and you know if they're playing guitar they can't remember what chord it is they just haven't rehearsed or practiced mm. and I, I tend to find that if they're coming into the studio and the recording vocals for example if they practice beforehand you get a better performance and you then you know. They, you can put them at ease a bit better and the whole project ends up being much, much better. So um, I think rehearsing at home is really, really important uh, for artists before they come in. And that is the difference between uh, the artists that tend to be on the label compared with independent artists who are perhaps starting out is that the, uh, the bigger artists tend to be more prepared for the mm. sessions. But of course, they're more experienced as well. Yeah, of course. And I was wondering, um, you know, in a different scenario, maybe this hasn't happened to you, but maybe some other producers that you know, you know, on the occasion where someone might not be perfectly in tune, how how awkward is that to kind of um, work around as a producer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've had a few of them. Uh, 
And it's really difficult because you'll always get people who say a little bit pitchy and that's absolutely fine because you can always fix that in post-production. But you do have the odd person who comes in and sings and they're singing in completely wrong key and you tell them it's in the wrong key, but they can't hear it. They think they're singing in the right key. And so, you know, it is really worrying (laughs) because there's hardly anything you can do. If they can't hear it, they, they, they can't correct it. Um, but I've got some techniques around it, which is basically getting the keyboard out and I'm pressing the notes that they need to sing on the keyboard. Wow. Or I've got my desk mic and I'm singing into it <laughs> so they can sing along with me. But you do get the odd one who um, you don't realise at the time. You think they're a good, good rare singer and then they come in and they're just completely out of tune. It's, it's probably the hardest thing to do as a producer is to try to get them to sing in tune. Uh, but there's only so much you can do. Yeah, it's uh, strange. You could get a tone deaf singer, but I suppose you can. They're out there. Um, I suppose. Do you hear um, <laughs> yeah. when they're on the radio? Um, not naming anyone. Do you? Can you hear? You know, when something's obviously been auto tuned, uh, other than when it's you know super processed with an effect on it. Um, is that easy yeah. for you to pick up on as a producer? It is. Yeah, because uh, as you've said there, it's, it, there's, there's two types of tune. There's auto tune, which is what we typically hear in in hip hop. Um, and then there's just normal tuning, which shouldn't be audible. It should just be where you've got someone's vocal that's gone a bit out of tune. You just shift it so it's perfectly in tune. Mm. But you can you can tell when it's kind of been, been a bit overused because the singer is um, been singing a little out of key. And, and I, it's a you know it's a sad thing to say, but I'm hearing it more and more in uh, modern chart music at the minute. Um, but it could be used as an effect as well because you know a lot of artists like that kind of tuning effect. But uh, I'm often more natural sounding vocal, shall we say? Yeah, definitely. And you're not the only producer that said that to me recently. Someone I've spoke to recently, uh, she's got synesthesia, and she said that you can, she can see. Well, they all, you know, she visualizes the sound as colours and shapes and they all look the same, the songs that are on the radio. Not all of them, obviously, but particularly to do with auto-tuning, yeah. she said. Um, so she really noticed yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, everything is sounding a bit samey at the moment, I think. And I think particularly the female um, artists are sounding particularly uh, similar, with, with the exception of people like Billie Eilish, who are incredibly different mm. and bold. Um, but yeah, I, I can understand you know what that other producer was saying about you know, everything being the same colour because I, I I tend to agree with that. I mean, everything is a bit on the same level. I think we need a bit more experimentation uh, in the chart. And she didn't actually mention women, but when she was telling me about that, I was thinking of female artists that I hear on the radio actually as well, without her even saying that. Lots of just similar sounding music. But, um, it that is, must yeah. be the popular a recipe at the sound- moment. But are you that, yeah, absolutely. It's it's similar sounding music and similar sounding vocal tones. Um, all the women are just sounding exactly the same. I don't know what it is, but it's yeah, it's what it's what sells at the minute. So that's why the record labels keep feeding us these similar sounding artists. But uh, something will give eventually where you know uh, the tide will change and things will start getting a bit mixed up again. So like I said, people like Billie Eilish are doing something a bit different that's been incredibly successful so hopefully we'll have more artists like that breaking through Mm, we need Adele to just release a new album or something just to break it up yeah we do I think she's too busy losing weight and (laughs) exercising as well that's right maybe she can do both come on she's on lockdown come on yeah of course she can (laughs) multitasking multitasking (laughs) 
So um, I know you're obviously very proud to be one of the few successful um, female record producers from the UK and you do a lot to yeah. promote the important role of women in music, obviously. So um, is that true then? Is it actually quite rare then to have female record producers in the UK? I wasn't aware it was so uh, rare. Obviously, we know it's male-dominated. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a global thing, actually. I think I think in the UK, um, 2% of producers are female. Wow. So, you know, that's really, really low. Um, I, I think globally it might be 4% or something like that. So it's really, really low figures. But in saying that, I'm seeing more coming through. So when I go to colleges and I, you know, I do a talk on music production, I'm seeing more female students in the music production courses. But it's still way outnumbered. Um, but I think there is just a slight shift now in, in attitudes. And I think more women are coming forward. But We've still got a long way to go, but I think I always get asked, why do you think that is? Why aren't there more females in these roles? And I don't know the answer, but I think it's a, a complex mesh of things. I mean, if you take me as an example, I was a, a self-producing artist for many years. I never even thought about becoming a producer. And I think there's going to be lots of other self-producing females out there that probably haven't realised that they could do it as well and that would be a good career option. I think that's what it is. It's just that there's lots of females who want to be artists because, you know, it's it's a sexier career path, but uh, they don't consider that producing could be a really, really good option as well. Uh, but yeah, hopefully things are going to change and we're going to see even more successful producers coming through because, you know, I could probably name about three or four at the minute that, that I know of and, you know, that's really, really low. Mm, yes it is really low and I think um, based on what you've said you've done a little bit of educational um, stuff in you know schools or colleges so speaking to the founder yeah. of music production for women recently and um, she yeah. was saying the same thing you know she would go and start that education level so I think it sounds like that is really key to get you know just get to women when they're younger teenagers even and mm. just let them know it even is an option as a career I mean certainly when I was at school yeah. wouldn't have even really been aware of any kind of career prospects like that and it would have been interesting just to know about yeah absolutely i think it's to do with um visibility i think but us female producers um who are doing quite well at the minute need to be more visible and say that hey you can do this as a woman it's you know i think maybe a lot of women are getting put off by the fact that it can be quite technical but you know it's it's more of a creative role that i find but i think you know the the more visible we are and the you know the more we talk about our roles, I think that's just going to encourage more people to come forward. Um, but definitely compared to when I started five years ago, I don't think there was anyone. I don't, because when I was like the only female going around producing music and then the last year or so, I'm just seeing quite a few popping up on social media that seem to be doing quite well. Um, but they do tend to be self-producing mm. um, artists, so when I, which I think is a very different discipline. Um, when you self-produce, you're not working with other artists, you're not producing them. And it's, it's a very, very different uh, style of working. But um, yeah, there's definitely more numbers coming through and hopefully we can get that 2% up um, over the next five years or so. Yeah, definitely. And um, I was wondering, do you find that female artists are wanting to be produced by women more? I mean, not that they wouldn't consider obviously having a male producer, but what, what's your experience yeah. of that? So yeah, yeah, the answer is yes. I've had a uh, Quite a few, I mean, yeah, the majority of my clients are actually female. I do have quite a few male clients, but yeah, there are probably more women. And, you know, quite a few of them have said to me they have 
purposely sought out a female producer. And when I asked them, why is that? Why do you want to work with a, a female producer over a male producer? And there's a couple of reasons. The first one is that they feel that they can be more comfortable in expressing what they want and that they can connect with a female producer a bit more. And then there's uh, a couple of, of my female clients that have had bad experiences with male producers uh, where one was locked in a studio uh, with a male producer and couldn't get out. And there was another one who, wow. uh, you know, refused to release masters unless, you know, uh, you know, she went to bed with him. So there's, you hear, I hear stories like that more than I should. Horrendous. And it, it is quite worrying. But it is, it is, I think, you know, it's a minority of, of, of male producers and, as you know, most of them are very, very professional and courteous. Yeah, but of course, yeah. Yeah, I just find that a lot of women want to work with female producers just because it's a connection thing and, you know, we tend to connect better. And I'd say that's probably true. I probably connect with my female clients and more, much better than my male clients. But, uh, you, know, the, you know, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Mm. No, but I suppose in a way, um, maybe it's even subconscious. I don't know. It's nice for women to give other women opportunities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Mm. And you mentioned earlier as well, obviously you're very aware, it is a very competitive industry, you know, to break through as a producer. Mm. I mean, I don't know what the, you know, chances are or whatever, but of doing well, it's, um, you know, it can be quite slim. So you're happy to give aspiring yeah. producers the advice that you wish you'd been given to you, perhaps at the beginning or when you were, you know, finding your way. So um, I know you've written a few guides, ebooks, and things just to help literally yeah. independent artists and aspiring producers, which is fantastic. So I was just wondering, um, obviously I won't make you do all of them, but um, what are your sort of a couple of tips that you might give for people wanting to go down that path? Yeah, I think, because I get asked this so much on, on my Instagram page from producers saying, mm. I'm starting out, I'm not getting any clients. I'm not getting any paying clients. And for me, it was it was quite easy as well. I went back to, you know, I said before about I had to go out and scout for artists. But before I did that, I made sure I had a showreel. Because when you approach an artist, they're not just going to work with any old producer. They want to hear what you can do. They also quite often want to know that you've got a decent studio set up because they don't want to have to pay to go to a studio. And so there's that, I think, you know, getting a showreel together when you're starting out of your best work, that's like several songs or so, is really, really important. But also, I wish I'd have been told at the beginning that many artists expect you to mix and master as well as producing, which is a very, very different area. And, um, you know, I advise every artist that there's three areas of production, the, uh, the producing, then the mixing, then the mastering. They are all done by separate mix engineers usually, but independent artists don't have the budget to be able to pay for all three. So they expect producers to do all three. And I'm not a mastering engineer. I'm not really a mix engineer, but I have to do all of those things when someone hires me. And so I had to learn how to mix. I had to learn the basics of mastering. And no one taught me that. I had to go and, you know, do it from practice and, and just learning as I go. But I wish I'd have known that at the start because at the start I was saying to artists, I'm not a mix engineer, I'm not going to mix it, I can't do it. Uh, you know, I lost a couple of clients because because of it. So, yeah, even though it's not quite fair, I think that, you know, producers need to be sure that they're experiencing producing, mixing and mastering. Okay, no, those are great tips, aren't they? Because um, even though you may feel like you're asked them a lot, obviously, clearly, um, but it's nice uh, that everyone can kind of get to hear that and 
kind of hear what the almost obvious ones are to you because it may not be to them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I never thought that mixing would be something that I'd have to do, but because I've done mixing so much, um, I've now become a, you know, a half decent mix engineer and that's now another skill and another service that I can offer. So mm. it has been worthwhile, even though it's, a, it's completely different to producing. It's more about effects and getting the levels right than being creative. It's more technical, but it is, if you want to be successful as a producer, you have to be able to mix. There's just no way around it. Mm. And you've been quite open before that you haven't done that as much or hadn't, you know, until perhaps you had been almost forced to, as you say, you need to be able to do both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even know really that mixing was a separate discipline, um, you know, until about five or six years ago. I just thought the producer did it all in one and, you know, which is exactly what my clients think now. And I don't think there isn't enough education out there that informs artists and producers that there are different processes mixing mastering production uh, but loads of people aren't aware of it so um, you know hopefully we can change that and artists will see the benefits of using separate mix engines and mastering engineers who are specialists and who have specialist equipment and who have a fresh pair of ears but um, yeah until we get to that stage I think it's, it's very worthwhile in educating yourself in mixing and mastering. Mm, definitely. Um, okay, so let's listen to an example. This is a track that you produced and mixed. So this was um, May Reed Furlong, who you mentioned earlier, was your very first client. Yeah. Um, so yeah. lovely little um, circle of life moment there. So um, let's have a listen to this. This <laughs> is The Greatest Mistake. I couldn't get you off of my mind I know it was wrong And although I tried I fell in deep I fell in quicksand Yeah, I was weak A puppet in your plan I took a chance I took a chance Oh, I took a chance The apple in your So yeah, nice moment there with you going back to, you know, as you said, your first ever client. So um, you obviously, as we've said, you produced and mixed that. Um, So what, and that was, sorry, that's that you've just finished that. Have you or almost finished it? Yeah. So we've almost finished her album. Um, It's it's been quite a long process um, because she lives in a different part of the country. um, Mm. But, and she's had a baby in, in between that as well. But yeah, we're almost finished with it now. And that song there that you've just played was, um, a single that she actually released, um, I think it was last year sometime. Um, but yeah, I was really, really happy with how it came out. Uh, she's just so talented, a very, very talented songwriter and a very, very talented singer as well. Mm. And I'm guessing because you've been working together for a few years now, uh, you, you've you got quite familiar with your ways of working together, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, she's. Um, I think why we work so well together is that um, she has a vision for her music, a very, very clear vision, and I just get that vision, I think, because we know each other quite well now, we've worked together for maybe four, four or five years, and um, I'm just able to translate her vision for her, and I get it right, uh, which doesn't happen with every artist, but it does with Maraid, and I really enjoy producing that kind of music, because it's uh, got emotion in it, and she she just writes beautifully. Every song on that album 
is just it just blows me away and you know I think she should be like one of the biggest artists out there at the moment I really hope that when the album comes out we can really do it justice because she really deserves it she's a really rare talent Mm. and do you find as a producer you know working with a nice sort of stripped back um but strong vocal is that quite um I guess easy to work with other than you know a track that's a lot busier yeah, I find it easier. I mean, it's just, other producers might might disagree, but I find it easier when it's more of an open sound and you can concentrate on those uh, few elements elements that make them sound, you know, big and bold and make them blend. Mm-hmm. If if a track's too busy, it's just it, you find it gets smaller and smaller, um, where you can get a big open sound with stripped back elements. But for me, I just prefer songs and productions that have an emotional connection. And I think for me, that's what's missing with the songs in the charts at the minute. There's just not that emotion or personal experience, which is what we connect to in songs. So, And that's why I particularly like about Marie's songs, she writes them about personal experiences. And I think that really comes across. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, in terms of the charts, um, they probably... The people that are in there are a lot are locked into this thing where they're almost releasing singles every few months, um, like some kind of yeah. factory rather than a body of work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a singles game now. It really is. I mean, my favourite band um, are the 1975 and um, I, ju- I just love all their singles mm. and their albums. And at the minute, they're just like releasing a song every couple of weeks and now they're releasing two albums and I just can't keep up. Yeah. With the releases, they're just literally coming out one after the other. But it's it's much more powerful to release singles now than albums, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, we're definitely in a singles era at the moment. Yeah, just a different game now, isn't it, with streaming? Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, getting an album as a kid, so a cassette. If anyone can even remember them, out of our listeners, and then a CD, and you know, going through all the artwork and reading all the lyrics and everything, and I can't even imagine oh, yeah. doing that now myself. And I used to love it. Yeah, that was that, that was oh yeah, when a new album came out, and yeah, you'd rush down to the shops, and I remember this when um, Oasis's Morning Glory album came out, and I was so excited, and I'd sit there and I'd read who produced it, where it was recorded yeah. and who did the artwork and read all the lyrics. And of course now you can still find out that information, but you have to go onto Wikipedia. It just yeah. doesn't quite have the same vibe. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Definitely doesn't. Okay. <laughs> um, another um, example of your work, uh, recent work, should I say, sorry, is um, this singer called Jack Olzerbrook. Um, um, so this oh, yeah, is, yeah. this is a song called, your heart and it's recently released yeah. and this is another one that again you've produced a mixed so let's have a little listen to this one the way it's meant to be you need a hero i hope it can be me Oh, 
obviously this is a, another lovely song and a great vocalist so um I saw that you recorded the song in your bedroom studio about two years ago but it's only just been released yeah. now so what was that like producing yeah. the track there yeah it was do you know what it was actually a challenge um because it was um a smaller room and when Jack was playing his acoustic guitar right next to me and there was uh, another guitarist in the room. So we all had headphones on. And if you listen to the start of the track, you can actually hear the metronome playing mm-hmm. because it's picked it up from our headphones. And that's the trick you have with these smaller oh, wow. kind of bedroom style uh, studios is that it picks up these noises. And it was kind of bothering me um, afterwards. And I said, look, I've got a new studio now. You can come down and re-record the guitar if you want. But he was just happy with it because sometimes having these um, things on the track, it doesn't matter because you still capture an atmosphere and a moment that you can't replicate if you re-record. And his voice just blew me away. And he's, he's quite, he's a, he's a fairly well-known actor. He was in the that award-winning film, Bromley Boys. Um, and he's, I think he's done some theatre. And so, you know, he's, he's quite a decent actor and can take that as a career. But his voice is just, it's just incredible. He just, sung straight away and I don't think we needed to do it in sections I think he might have sung it all the way through um, and yeah he just he just nailed it and um, you know I did the master for him and sent it to him and then didn't hear anything for a couple of years and literally out the blue he just re- he just released it and I was tagged in it on social media and I was just so pleased he got it out there because um, it's a really good song and he's you know performed it really well and I think it's been doing really well actually since it's come out so I'm really really pleased with him. And so in terms of production technique obviously you've worked on a lot of different types of music um, where do you tend to start um, when you approach a project and do you approach everyone differently depending on what kind of sound it is and song? Yeah I think it, it, it depends on the song but I, I do have a process that I follow so if someone gives me a song to produce and I've just got, say, their vocal, I will always start, obviously, by working out what the chords are. It's really, really important. But I will always start with the drums because the drums are what makes a song sound modern or dated. And everything is built around the drums. So, you know, the bass plays, uh, you know, in time with the kick drum. And, you know, just everything's built around it. So it's very, very important, important to get the drums down first. So I'll always do that first. And then I'll just do the bass after that and then build all the other stuff around it. And that just really works well for me. Uh, so I always advise, you know, aspiring producers, work on your drums first. It's really, really important to how uh, the track will sound. Okay, interesting. And um, obviously you've got your um, state-of-the-art recording studio in North London, which, you know, we obviously yeah. cannot be in at the moment due to the lockdown and everything. Yeah. But um, and obviously you've got yeah. loads of great kit in there, but I know one of the most important pieces for you is your native instruments machine for drums, obviously, as you yeah. just spoke about, they're very important. Uh, and obviously that includes, you know, 20 modern drum kits, 16 sounds each, all kinds of effects, yeah. uh, etc. So uh, what about machine drum selection is key to your workflow and the way you produce? Yeah, so... Uh, the- the machine was actually the very first piece of studio gear I bought when I moved to London like 12 years ago. And I was building my studio back up from when I'd had to sell it those years before. And so it's the first bit of kit that I bought. And it, it, it just really helped me carve my sound as a producer. And um, I only use it for drums. And I don't use any of the built-in drums that come with it. I 
source my own drum samples, which mm-hmm. tends to be from various sources. I'll buy drum packs that I find, uh, but I also use spice.com a lot and just regularly download different drum sounds, uh, you know, kicks, snares, and then I'll just program the drums uh, using this machine. And, you know, I can get drums sounding like they do on the charts, or I can get them sounding like a real live drum kit using this bit of kit but the, the drum samples are equally important because they need to sound good as well so I would be lost without this piece of equipment uh, I don't think I wouldn't be able to produce as half as good as I could do without it no it definitely sounds that way anyway <laughs> another key piece for you is the Apollo um, quad preamp uh, which all your audio yeah. runs through so um, how long have you been using universal audio um, so oh yes probably about three or four years now so um, because artists uh, were coming to the studio a lot to record vocals and you know, I really needed to up my vocal game because vocals were sounding good that I was recording, but they weren't sounding world-class. I wanted something that was world-class. So I invested in a Newman U87 microphone that was about £2,000. And then you need a really decent preamp with it that the microphone runs through. So what I really liked about the universal audio preamp was that you get access to all of these awesome plugins that you can use, which basically copy big analog recording desks. So it makes it sound like everything's going through a big studio desk in like Abbey Road or something. Um, And that was really attractive for me. So it was a really expensive bit of kit, but when people come to record vocals, it sounds incredible straight away and I've got then all those additional um, plugins that I can use to make it sound like they're going through a big analog desk in a a huge studio somewhere so uh, that's a really really clever trick to have up my sleeve absolutely everyone goes through it uh, regardless of uh, vocal type or genre or anything like that everyone just goes through it Um, and I've even now bought a uh, smaller uh, universal audio portable preamp it's called uh, the uh, arrow yeah mm-hmm. the universal audio arrow so it's basically the same as what i've got in the big studio but it's a little portable uh, version so you know like i said before i've set up my uh, portable studio now at home and i needed a decent preamp that would go with it so i bought the arrow as well so yeah oh, another okay. great piece of equipment so arrow's getting you through lockdown producing by the sounds of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely i'm mean, so pleased to put everything on, on onto that laptop and the replica of my studio because um, you just don't know what's going to come next with this lockdown and for all I know I could get ill or my partner could get ill and they can't go anywhere and then I can't produce anything so having it at home is just it's a weight off from my mind it really is. Yeah of course it's such a surreal situation so it's great to know there are portable bits of kit like this that can do you know studio grade um, work basically yeah. that everyone like you producers can do at home at the moment because like you said we just we don't know how long it's going to be like this yeah ab- absolutely it, it was just it's such an important thing to do and it, it it is a you know it is a bit of a headache doing it because you have to download so much software onto your laptop and you have to get all your settings ready and it takes a lot it took me three days to do it but it was three days well spent because everything's so uncertain at the minute and I don't want to be in a position where I can't produce and it's not only that if you ever go traveling or like at Christmas when you go and see your family and you need to do something urgent it's just useful to have that laptop there with everything ready to go mm, for sure and um, obviously plugins hundreds of manufacturers to choose from and in particular though you're a big fan of 
cable guys and reason so oh, really? um yeah starting with i guess cable guys then so can you name a few i guess plugins of theirs off the top of your head that really stand out for you and how you utilize them just curious because our listeners yeah, so, always um, like to know about you know the individual and sometimes quirky bits of kit that all the producers use oh okay cool so yeah so cable guys have been uh, really kind to me because they have um, sent me some of their plugins to try out uh, just before they come out and oh, cool. one of them is called uh, it's already out now this one it's called Shaper Box 2 but it's a really cool plug it's really cheap actually but it just does all these really cool effects so you know you can have, have stutter effects or reverse effects or um, filters and mm-hmm. sweeps and just all kinds of crazy effects so you know if you're not that musical but you want to get some effects on a sound that you've got you just put this plug in on and you just press some buttons mm-hmm. and it would just add all these really cool effects and I can't think of anything else that has all of that in one plugin so uh, yeah that's a great plugin I always recommend people to get the Shaper Box too from Cable Guys it's really really cool I don't really do dance music like EDM mm-hmm. but there might be the odd client that comes through who wants me to do an EDM track or have an EDM effect and that's where you tend to have these um synth sounds that kind of are quiet at the start and then they build up and build up and they kind of get louder and louder and wider and wider and the shaper box can help create those kind of dance effects um, just by clicking on an effect tag rather than me having to program it myself Mm. using all these automation tools it just does it for me Um, so it's just really really useful if you want to get a decent kind of dance sound really, really quickly without having to do it all yourself manually. I haven't really used Reason that much, but they have um, been in touch with me on a couple of occasions and asked me to kind of try out the music production app that they've got because, you know, we're in a different kind of world now where you can make music on the fly from apps. So um, it was just their app that they asked me to try out um, a year or so ago. It might have been now. And that's just a really cool, handy thing that I will use if I'm, on the go, you know, I said traveling somewhere and I didn't have my portable kit with me. Mm. I just wanted to make something really quickly. I could go into that Reason app and just have a little play around and, you know, program a quick beat or um, play a little synth or just put down a quick idea, really. So it's really good for that kind of on-the-fly, quick ideas, get-it-down kind of thing. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, you know, like you say, producers aren't always just locked in their studios. You do leave them occasionally and, you know, out and about. (laughs) You know, inspiration may strike, so then it might be the great reason to use reason. I should write taglines. <laughs> I like what you did there. Thank you very much. I'm very proud of that. Um, I haven't seen anyone in a very long time, Aubrey. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so um, you're also an ambassador for companies, um, so Warm Audio, Olo Audio yeah. and uh, Create Creation or sorry, so Warm Audio. Oh, let's yeah, start yeah. with them because um, they're a new yeah. new brand to me. I'm going to admit. So um, I see they make microphone preamplifiers, um, compressors, equalizers, microphones, and obviously their ethos yeah. is to build you know really high end recording products, but make them affordable to musicians and producers. Yeah. So um, what of theirs yeah. have you been using, and how does it enhance your workflow? Yeah, so basically, what Warm Audio do is they kind of do copies, I wouldn't say copies, but I can't think of another way, but copies of really well-known microphones and uh, preamps and compressors. So they try and emulate it and make Mm -hmm. it sound as close to the original as possible. But, you know, it's more of a budget version because they use different parts. And um, so 
there's a lot of their stuff that I really, really like. Um, I like their um, their copy of the LA-2A compressor. Um, that sounds quite accurate to the original. The original will cost you thousands, and their copy costs around, you know, I think it's maybe 500 to 700, something like that. Um, and they also have uh, a microphone, which is the copy of the microphone that I have, which is the Newman U87. I think it's called the WA47 or, mm-hmm. or 87, something like that. So it's basically a copy of that microphone, again, at like a cheaper price. And it's as close to the original as you can get without having to pay thousands and thousands for this top-end equipment. Because it really does add up. It costs a fortune to set up a, a, a studio. So, you know, having these kind of pieces of equipment to, to start with is just, yeah, it's really, really useful. Oh, okay. And I'm guessing they're not so close that there's any kind of, um, you know, legal uh, threats. Copyright from, issues. Yeah, copyright issues from any of these brands. Yeah. I, I think how it's kind of um, advertised is like, it, it's like a modern take on these classic mm, okay. uh, kind of compressors uh, because, you know, music's changing all the time and um, technology's changing all the time. So, it, yeah, it, it's close, but it also has that, you know, modern tools and uh, modern buttons and things like that that you can use. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so Olo Audio. So they make um, mixing, recording and reference headphones. Oh, yeah. So uh, I absolutely love this company. So probably about a year now I've... Um, I've been using their headphones and um, they, they were contacting me when they were just starting out and they had these micro, uh, headphones that they wanted me to, to try and I was just blown away because I do probably 90% of my work on headphones. I don't really use speakers and monitors because I just like to be absorbed in the music and I like wearing headphones and I just found they were great and they just helped improve the sound of my mixes and I became an ambassador and just recently um brought out a, an updated pair of headphones uh, which I've just received and yeah they're even better so they are so such an important feature of my studio now because everything is done on headphones for me and we just make everything sound clear and not coloured so very natural sounding which is what you want so that you could mix accurately so yeah they're great really great headphones Mm. And I suppose it's not an overlooked uh, piece of kit, but, you know, people get distracted with the monitors and this and that. But obviously, yeah. headphones is so key to the way a producer hears a track. Yeah, well, because most of society listens to music via headphones now. Mm. Um, you know, it's, so you've got to make sure that it works on headphones, I think, more than anything else. Unless you're doing, like, dance music, and, you know, monitors are more important because you need to know what it's going to sound like in the clubs. But for the music that I produce, which is mostly modern, uh, pop and singer-songwriter stuff, you know, the headphones are quite an important tool. Mm, yeah, definitely. And uh, creator notes, they're a bit of a different one. So I've seen one of the things they make is an LPX voice commander, which is essentially a virtual assistant for Logic Pro. So basically, obviously, using your voice to control it. So is that what you've been using from them or yeah. is it something different? So something different. So what I've been using is, because uh, when we have Logic Pro, it's just one colour, which is great. And uh, this LPC, I think it's called the LPC software, just you can customize it and turn it into any color you want. You could have a purple background and green tools and just all these different templates, color templates, which is really cool because you're just working in gray all the time. And then you can just change your color scheme of logic. I think that's the only software that I know that can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's kind of what uh, I've been championing. I haven't really done much with it. Um, over the last year or so, but I do find that it's quite a useful tool to have in order to, yeah, 
refresh your eyes sometimes by looking at different colours. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I've never thought about that before. Um, yeah, of course, it must be nice to have something just a bit more visually stimulating, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, I mean, that's what I do in the studio. I've got mood lights all over the place and every few days I'll change the colour scheme because it just kind of creates a different atmosphere and it helps me to refresh my creativity. Mm, it's like you're in a new room, not just going from the lounge to the bedroom, etc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um obviously as we as we know lockdown you know it's a thing we're still in it so um what are you thinking about I guess the future what you, have you got any more projects coming up or that will maybe come up after lockdown what are you working on next yeah so I've, I've got absolutely loads of songs to produce I'm working on a, a few albums for people a few EPs and the challenge that I'm facing is that I can't really have those artists come into the studio to record vocals, which is what they usually do. Mm. So I'm in the process of kind of coaching those artists how to record vocals at home. Um, so, you know, kind of writing guidance for them and advising them on microphones and preamps that they can buy because I don't know when they can come back into the studio and, you know, we don't want to hold up all these projects. So I've been kind of focusing on that area. Um, and then I think what I'm, going to be setting up is probably a, a music project for myself which is kind of a collaborations project which is because I'm still an artist you know deep down I just haven't really been doing much but I still want that outlet of writing songs and doing my own stuff but kind of collaborating with other singers and artists so that's something I've been focusing on as well since I've been in lockdown is kind of planning that and thinking of songs that I can do so that's quite an exciting prospect for me. Uh, well yeah it's nice to know that you've got lots of things that you can be focusing on at the moment and beyond I suppose so um yes yeah, so thank you uh so much for talking to us today um I've been speaking to you for ages now it's been a fascinating chat so um yeah thank thanks for taking so the time it's been great to hear from you and you know what you've been up to and how you got into it and all of your advice and everything oh thank you you're very welcome I've really enjoyed chatting to you too thank you oh, so you much too. hopefully you see you in person one day Aubrey yeah hopefully that'd be cool one of these days okay all right take care then <laughs> thanks so much you too bye now bye Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.